Welcome to the Bulgarian History Podcast, Episode 47, When All Wars Are Civil Wars. First, as always, I want to thank our newest Patreon supporters, Steve Hewitt and XANS Zance. I don't know how you pronounce that, but big thanks to both of you for pledging. Also, I'd love it if you would all check out the History Fangirl podcast. Uh, she's a girl who travels around and does sort of interviews. It's a brand new podcast, and she interviewed me about uh, the Rila Monastery. So if you'd like to hear me kind of talk about that monastery and a bit of the history of it and everything, I'll put that link in the Facebook group. Okay, so, last time, we ended with the final resolution of yet another brutal Byzantine civil war, which completely reshaped the political landscape of the Balkans. In spite of the fact that, as historian Donald Nichol pointed out, the civil war, quote, could have been agreed five years before and saved the empire so much bitterness, hatred, and destruction, end quote. It dragged on long enough to see Byzantium in shambles. Out of those shambles, Serbia has emerged far more powerful than ever before, conquering much of northern Greece and crowning its king, emperor of the Serbs and Greeks. Bulgaria attempted to advance its own position as a result of the civil war, but largely failed. Still, Bulgaria was not in terrible shape. But the lost opportunity of the Byzantine Civil War and the rise of Serbian power were ominous developments. Just as ominous was that as the Civil War ended, the first Ottoman raids of Bulgarian Thrace began. For now, they were a nuisance. But we've seen time and time again that the instability brought on by such raids, whether from the Tatars, Pechenegs, Rus, or Turks, could do incredible harm to the economy and the political stability of Bulgaria. And that was only the beginning. In 1348, plague hit Thrace, further weakening the devastated Byzantine Empire. A major famine in Constantinople was only averted through grain shipments from Crimea and Bulgaria. Historian John Fine mentions that the port of Varna was a city of growing importance as it seems to have been the most vital port between Constantinople and the Danube Delta in this period, no doubt helping to facilitate the sort of savior of Constantinople from famine through all this grain. But overall, the combination of plague, near famine, the recent civil war, all of it, meant that the Byzantine Empire was weak and it was poor. But in addition, to win their support in successive civil wars, the wealthy elite of the empire had been given many, many tax exemptions. As a result, most were too poor to pay taxes, while the wealthy were exempt. So, who was paying taxes in the empire? Well, nobody was. And the result was empty coffers for the emperor, and a disastrous fiscal situation. Is it any wonder that Turkish raiders went straight through Byzantine territory to attack Bulgaria? It seems there was neither much of value to steal, nor the ability to take on those raiders militarily. Now, Bulgaria angrily blamed the Byzantines for not stopping the raids, 
even accusing them of assisting in the raiding. But the Byzantines denied it, plausibly claiming that there was nothing that they could do to stop the Ottomans. But the sum of these events was that the Balkans, minus Serbia, was weakening in the face of the Ottomans and other Turkish tribes and groups based in Anatolia. But Emperor John VI planned on changing all of that. But first, he desperately needed cash. One lucrative source at his fingertips which wouldn't require taxing the severely undertaxed elites of the empire and potentially turning them against him was, in fact, the most exciting source of revenue of them all, customs duties, i.e. the taxes collected from ships passing through the Bosphorus. Okay, so raise the customs duties. What's the problem? The Byzantines are collecting these, right? Well, no, no, they're not. Because actually, by this point, the Genoese were collecting around 87% of the customs duties through their colony at Galata, just north of Constantinople. So to correct this, John began a two-pronged strategy. First, he lowered Byzantine duties to encourage ships to pay them instead of paying those of Genoa. Then he raised private funds, again the treasury was broke, to rebuild the Byzantine navy after its near destruction in the previous civil war to potentially challenge the Genoese. He knew that Genoa wasn't about to simply allow such a vital source of revenue to vanish. And so they were going to fight for their position. Within a year, the lower duties taking effect, Genoa was hard hit financially and declared war on the Byzantines to restore their position. The Genoese quickly sent a powerful fleet towards Constantinople. When it arrived, it made short order of the hastily constructed Byzantine fleet. Ah, but the Byzantines could also attack the Genoese colony at Galata by land. And so they did. They burned everything outside of its walls across from Constantinople and flung stones and fire into the fortress town. Ultimately, in spite of their dominance of the sea, the Genoese Galata didn't stand a chance on land. Thus, they negotiated a surrender in 1349, two years since John had lowered the customs duties. As a part of the peace, the Genoese gave back Byzantine land that they had taken and paid a large sum to the treasury and finally agreed to never attack Constantinople. This was a pretty good deal for the Byzantines, but Galata remained where it stood and continued to collect customs duties, so the Byzantines could take a bit more into the treasury, but the result was far from a long-term solution to their financial woes. Also, around the time the Byzantine and Genoese War ended, Tsar Ivan Alexander took the decision to divorce his wife, Theodora of Wallachia, sending her to live out the rest of her days in a monastery. Now, remember, she was the daughter of Besarab I, the newly independent leader of Wallachia. Now, this made Wallachia an ally, though, frankly, it wasn't a terribly powerful, powerful ally at this stage. Now, the reasons for this divorce and for the second marriage aren't entirely clear, though my best guess is that it was for love, because the new wife of Ivan Alexander was a woman named Sarah, who somewhat awkwardly, took the name Theodora when they were married. So Sarah, question was, who was she? 
who is the woman that the Tsar of Bulgaria would divorce a somewhat powerful wife for? Well, she wasn't a princess from a potential ally. She wasn't a, a potential queen or something. She was simply the daughter of a Jewish family in Turnival. Upon her marriage, she converted to orthodoxy and, somewhat ironically, became a crusader for the religion, even against her former co-religionists. So she would sort of persecute the Jewish population of Turnival uh, in, on behalf of the Orthodox Church. A uh, bit of a tragic irony. And more importantly, the children which would come from this new marriage would potentially be set against the children from Ivan Alexander's previous marriage. Michael Asen IV, currently co-emperor, and Ivan Stratzimir, currently despot of Lovech, and Ivan Asen IV, all in competition to take over the throne. So in other words, whether or not it was for love, this new marriage was putting Bulgaria on the path towards a potential civil war in the future. It was simply very dangerous to have two sets of children from two wives, which would sort of naturally be set up to compete against each other for the throne in the future. Well, if that was a worry, then the Ottomans were there to help out. They conducted yet another raid on Bulgaria in 1349. In this raid, 20,000 Ottoman troops under the command of Suleiman Pasha, one of the sons of Orhan, uh, and the architect of Ottoman expansion into Europe. The Ottomans met a Bulgarian army near Sofia, and a ferocious battle ensued. Both sides took heavy losses, but ultimately the Ottomans were turned back. However, not before the Bulgarian commander Ivanasen IV, the youngest son of the Tsar and his first wife, was killed in the fighting. Now, only two sons remained from Ivan Alexander's first marriage, helping him to rule the empire. In the meantime, the Byzantines under John were still trying to bring their empire into some recovery. To that end, in 1350, they decided to ally with Venice, who was in the middle of its third war with Genoa. It was, ultimately, the Calatans, the Venetians, and the Byzantines arrayed against the Genoese in a Mediterranean-spanning conflict. Orhan and the Ottomans also joined the Genoese, tired of the Venetians raiding their territory from sea. This gave the Ottomans the chance to cross the straits and to cooperate with the Genoese at Galata and capture a castle at Gallipoli, which had recently been abandoned after an earthquake. This was the first permanent Ottoman conquest in Europe. While this was happening, the Battle of the Straits between the Catalans and the Byzantines and Venetians and the Genoese ended in a victory for Genoa. The war would go on, but this loss convinced the Byzantines that they had to get out while they could. They were not going to win. When the Ottoman presence in Gallipoli became clear, Emperor John tried desperately to pay Suleiman and his men to leave, to get out of Europe, to cross the Straits back to Anatolia. But they refused. He then tried to meet with Orhan, but the old sultan was simply too ill and too old to leave his capital at Bursa. And so the situation remained. The Ottomans were not going to leave Europe. In the meantime, Suleiman continued his raids into Bulgaria. Also in that year, the Patriarch in Constantinople finally got around to excommunicating the Serbian Tsar and Patriarch in response to Dushan being crowned Tsar of the Serbs and the Greeks. So, yeah, this is a little weird because 
it was a little late, as I mentioned. I mean, Dushan had been crowned four years earlier. But, uh, okay, sure, excommunicate them, I'm sure the Serbs are very upset. Not really. No, nobody cared. But the reason for this excommunication, it wasn't really to make anyone like that care. It was actually because Tsar Dushan was at war with Bosnia, and the Byzantines decided to use this moment to retake territory for him. And excommunicating their Tsar was sort of a propaganda move to, to get the Greeks under his uh, control, as well as the Byzantine soldiers fighting against Serbia, all kind of riled up that the man that they were fighting for was not a true Orthodox Christian. So the Byzantines were attacking more specifically the peninsula Chalcedon, that trident of land below Thessaloniki, um, which yeah you can see on any kind of a map. The Byzantines were initially pretty successful in doing this because, well, there were Greek populations in those towns and cities, and they were glad to open their gates to the conquering heroes and return themselves to Byzantine rule. But once Stefan Dushan got word of this, he ended his operations in Bosnia, turned around, and headed south. Now, what he had gained there was lost, and so he rushed in and quickly retook all the territory the Byzantines had just retaken themselves. Now, at this point, the Byzantines were getting a bit desperate. They were facing losses against the Ottomans, against the Genoese, and the Serbs. They had just lost this major attempt to retake this territory. They couldn't get the Ottomans out of Anatolia. They couldn't win a substantial victory against the Genoese. In response to all these losses, Emperor John reached out to Ivan Alexander for an alliance directed against the Ottomans. However, the Tsar refused. Now, many boyars disagreed with his decision, but they were ultimately convinced that Ivan Alexander was right. It's also speculated that perhaps the Serbs themselves pressured Ivan Alexander into rejecting the deal. Still, John Fine speculates that this may have convinced the Bulgarians not to attack Byzantium over anger and its inability and unwillingness to prevent Ottoman raids on Bulgarian territory. But regardless of all this, Emperor John VI had greater problems than the Bulgarians, Ottomans, or the Serbs. Because young John V, son of Andronicus III and his co-emperor, was finally old enough to potentially rule in his own right. So, if you've forgotten, the deal which ended the last civil war made these two Johns, John IV and John V, co-emperors. And, well, that worked pretty well when one of them was a child. But John V wasn't a child anymore. And he was no longer content to play second fiddle to the man he had fought against in the civil war. To prevent the young John V from causing trouble, the older emperor sent him to go govern a territory around Thrace and the Rodopi Mountains a territory which was then governed by his own son, Matthew. So, essentially the deal was, the co this gets the co-emperor out of the way, and, well, his son Matthew's feelings are going to be hurt, so Matthew has to go out and get some territory farther east. Just sort of a reshuffling. However, the emperor's son's Matthew was pretty unhappy about this situation, and so... Shortly afterwards, John V and Matthew began fighting over the border between their two territories. The elder John had set himself up for yet another civil war. And it didn't take long, because in 1352, Matthew, the son of the emperor, outright attacked John V and rejected his right to share the throne with Matthew's father. 
And so just like that, the third Byzantine civil war in less than a century began. John V, in desperate need of allies, turned to the Venetians and hired Turkish mercenaries and began using them to conquer towns and cities. He then turned to Serbia and Bulgaria to obtain their support as well. Serbia was won over via an agreement to recognize Dushan's imperial title, and Bulgaria came along too, but what Bulgaria was given is not clear. But the older emperor, well, he allied himself with the Ottomans themselves and gathered forces to begin retaking the cities that John V had taken. Each city that was taken, even Adrianople, was given over to the Ottomans to plunder to their heart's content as a reward for their alliance. The emperors had no choice, as the Ottomans had brought 10,000 cavalry and made up a great bulk of the army. His opponent, for his part, enlisted 4,000 Serbian cavalry and some Bulgarian ones as well. Thus, ironically, when these opposing forces met on an open field in Thrace near the modern Turkish-Greek border, it was two armies which, as Fine ironically points out, met to decide the fate of Byzantium and were not really Byzantine. So yeah, it was a, sort of a battle between Serbs and some Bulgarians and a bunch of Ottomans, more or less. And the Ottomans utterly routed the Serbs and Bulgarians. As a result, John V fled to the island of Teneros, which was controlled by his Venetian allies, and refused to surrender once there, still claiming that the throne in Constantinople belonged to him and him alone. That Battle of Demotica was the first time Europeans had ever fought a pitched battle against the Ottomans on European soil, and the loss made the old Tsar Dushan realize the danger posed by the Ottomans. But for now, the civil war raged on. No one had time to pause and consider the rising power of the Ottomans and how they had just so easily crushed the finest cavalry Serbia was able to muster. In 1353, John V made an attempt to take Constantinople directly, but failed. The older John VI seemed poised to win and crowned his son Matthew, who had started the whole thing as co-emperor and his successor, Ah, but remember that John VI's rule had not exactly been successful. True, he was winning the Civil War, but he had been losing other wars for years and was not exactly popular for it. In any ways, the younger John V was far from finished. He still had some fight left in him. And so now, he abandoned his Venetian allies and traveled to Genoa to find allies there instead. In Galata, John V found a captain who was, as Fine puts it, more or less a pirate. The man was promised John's wife and the island of Lesbos to help John enter Constantinople. And the two of them succeeded. John V entered the city and forced the older John VI to retire to a monastery. And so yet another civil war was finally over. Except that it was mostly over. Matthew was still at large in the Rodopi Mountains. So, in short order, John V marched an army there to put a stop to what resistance remained. Matthew's towns and cities quickly collapsed with the understanding that resistance just wasn't going to get them anywhere. Thus, Matthew's capital was soon put under siege with him in it, and finally an agreement was reached. Under it, the empire would be split, 
with Matthew getting some territory in the West. However, Matthew feared that the agreement was actually a ploy and that he would be betrayed. And so shortly afterwards, he resumed the war anyways. While all this was going on, the Ottomans were continuing to sp- expand their attacks on Bulgarian Thrace, with Ivan Alexander seeming powerless to stop them. Then, in 1355, just as the Byzantine Civil War was starting up again, that year's Ottoman raid headed towards Sofia, led by Sultan Orhan himself. The eldest son and co-tsar of Ivan Alexander, Michael Asen IV, led an army to meet them. Though all of our information on this battle comes from an anonymous chronicle, it seems the armies met near the modern town of Ihtiman, one of the first towns you'll find on the road from Sofia to Philippopolis. Again, we have no details on the battle, except that it was fierce and it led to the death of Michael Asen IV. Just like that, the heir to the Bulgarian throne, who had been co-tsar since 1331 and was married to the daughter of Andronicus III, was seen as virtuous and excellent and ready to lead by his people and was beloved the great hope of Bulgaria was dead. Still, the Ottomans turned back, but it showed that the Bulgarians were unable and ineffective in challenging the Ottomans in open battle. They had now lost two of their three princes in doing so. Around the same time, the Bulgarians were suffering a devastating loss to the Ottomans. The Serbian Empire was suffering losses of its own. In 1355, Tsar Stefan Dushan finally died at the age of just 47, with theories that he was either poisoned or died of a stroke. He left Serbia utterly transformed from what it had been. To begin, it was now an empire in both title and the reality of its power and influence. It stretched from Belgrade in the north to the Peloponnesus in the south. I think an extended quote from John Fine puts Dushan into context and explains much about the general power dynamics in both Serbia and Bulgaria at the time. Quote, He rose from a semi-puppet of his nobles to become a powerful military leader and their master. By following the nobles' policy of war against Byzantium, he won many of them to his standard. His booty and lands he won attracted many more. Having thus won so many nobles to obedience, he was able to create a relatively large military force loyal to him personally. He supplemented these troops with mercenaries, whom he had in large numbers and whose loyalty he retained by prompt and generous payment. Those whose loyalty he thus won, plus the mercenaries and the Albanians he recruited, then provided sufficient muscle to cow any who may have remained recalcitrant. Thus, he ended up with the most powerful army of the Balkans in his day and the ability to control his state. Control of the state, of course, meant only that he retained the loyalty of his nobles to the extent that they did not secede, but instead rendered him to their service and financial obligations. He placed military governors and mercenary garrisons in various provincial towns to retain his control over them and to supervise the local nobles. These outsiders presumably exerted pressure on the nobles to fulfill their obligations to the state, but they were not sufficiently sufficient to institutionalize state control over a province, 
and Jushan never truly asserted state control over his whole realm. He could not, as we saw above, control brigandage or even guard all of his frontiers. And this failure to establish centralized institutions left the nobles with great authority in their counties. As a result, the basis for separatism remained. End quote. So, Dushan left many things undone. Duras on the Adriatic coast and Thessaloniki and the Aegean remained unconquered in spite of being surrounded by Serbian territory. But even beyond what was conquered, Dushan had dreamed of conquering all of Thrace and Constantinople before turning this great power against the Ottomans to throw them out of Europe. But it wasn't meant to be. Now, as his son Stefan Uros V took over, it remained to be seen whether he could bring the dreams of his father to fruition. But while Serbia was going through this transition and the Byzantine Civil War was resuming, Emperor John V once again reached out to Bulgaria for an alliance. A combination of concern over the growing power of the Ottomans, a vision of opportunity in Serbia following the death of its Tsar, and a decision to quickly end this newest phase of the Civil War added up to clear reasons for the alliance. As a part of this alliance, Ivan Alexander's daughter from his second marriage, Kiratsa, was married to John V's eldest son and heir, Andronicus IV. The stated purpose of the marriage and alliance was to strengthen Christendom against Islam and the Ottomans more specifically. But what would come out of it remained to be seen. In the meantime, the rekindled civil war was dragging on. Matthew gathered an army of around 5,000 Turkish mercenaries and attacked a Serbian vassal state based in Ceres in Greece. Seeking to expand this territory in that direction, the Serbian Tsar rushed to combat Matthew's aggression. But first, an army under Voyan, the Serbian Count of Drama, defeated Matthew and took him prisoner. Voyan then ransomed Matthew to John V. The Byzantine Emperor pressed Matthew to renounce all of his claims before releasing him the next year to join his brother in the Peloponnesus. And just like that, another Byzantine civil war was over. What remained of the empire was smaller than modern Bulgaria is. It encompassed most of Thrace, Thessaloniki, and a few islands. Bulgaria at the time was perhaps 50% larger. Serbia maybe 300%. There's a map, well, there will be a map on the website for this reference, so you can go see it for yourself. And so that's where I'm going to leave it for now. With another civil war over, Serbia is wondering what comes next with a 20-year-old Tsar on the throne, and Bulgaria seeking to build a new alliance with Byzantium, and deeply concerned over the growing threat of the Ottomans. And Byzantium, today controlling a fraction of the territory it had just decades ago. Next time, we'll see where it all leads. This episode was written and produced by me, Eric Halsey. Theme music was written and performed by Teddy Raven. And, yeah, that's everything. So, in the meantime, uspech, or in English, good luck.